Well, as I mentioned earlier, today is uh, the first Sunday of Advent, which means there are uh, churches around the world kind of pausing and refocusing on Jesus, on the coming of Jesus some 2,000 years ago and his uh, coming again. And one of the great joys that we have as a church family is joining uh, churches around the world in doing uh, just that. Uh, I was uh, talking with a friend recently. He's a pastor, and he famously, around Christmas and Easter, never stops his current series to do a Christmas series or an Easter series. Uh, he just kind of plows right on through. Um, I've shared the gospel with him on multiple occasions. I, I think he's a Christian. I'm not positive, but I always give him a hard time, and I, I always say, like, Doug, like, what? What are we doing this Christmas? Are you in Leviticus or Numbers or what are we doing? And I happened to, uh, to call him about a month ago and I jokingly asked him that. I said, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? And he said, hey, I'm doing this new series on looking at characters in scripture and kind of seeing the perspective of Christ through their eyes. And so, I mean, clearly the Spirit's working in his heart. And I thought, this is, this is really a great idea. I said, do you mind if I steal it? He's like, oh, hundred percent. He's like, take it. He's like, I'll send you my notes. And so he did. And I simply say that really for two reasons. One, if I say anything of value over the course of the next four weeks, there is at least a possibility, maybe a high probability that I just stole it from him. Uh, and secondly, I tell you that because again, I am reminded uh, that there are churches all around the world. I mean, think about that all around the world who are doing what we will do this morning. Uh, who will open up the word and uh, by the power of the spirit of God point people to Jesus. And I just think that's just the coolest thing uh, on the planet. Um, our text this morning, uh, Chris read one that we're going to actually cover in a couple of weeks. I believe that I sent him the wrong one. I was thinking about that as he was reading. I was thinking, well, well, this is interesting. Um, that was my bad. My bad. I'm still, you know, 16 years in, trying to figure this thing out. Uh, so apparently Matthew is also one of the Gospels, but it's a different book than Luke. And so I think. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Matthew uh, chapter 2. And let me read the passage this morning. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes, uh, and uh, all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for as it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose 
went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I've always been amazed that people uh, can have the same experience and yet respond very differently to that experience. One person can look at Christmas decorations and think to themselves, it looks like the 1980s exploded in that house. What were they thinking? And other people can see the lights and the decorations and with tear-filled eyes think to themselves, God has been so good to me for decades. One person can attend a holiday Christmas party and think to themselves, this is the happiest time of the year. And someone else can leave that same party and think to themselves, I'm so glad I don't have to do that until next year. I mean, think about it. One person can go out on a first date with a young man or a young woman and walk away and think to themselves, that's a no for me, dog. We're not doing that again. And someone else marries that person. Every single day, you and I have shared experiences, and yet we can respond very differently to that same experience. We do it with experiences, and we certainly do it with people. People have been doing it with Jesus uh, since he came some 2,000 years ago. Some people heard his teaching and they bought in and they followed him. And other people heard his teaching and they checked out and they left him. And so over the course of the next four weeks, I want us to consider some of the ways that individuals uh, from the Christmas story responded to Jesus. I want us to try to imagine what it would be like to walk in their sandals for a moment and see what we can glean from their lives, but even more important than that, see what they teach us about Jesus. This morning, I want to start by considering the wise men, the the magi. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at Simeon. Uh, The week after, we'll look at Anna, and then we'll end on Christmas Eve by looking at the shepherds. So this morning, I want to ask and answer the question, who are the magi? Who are uh, the wise men? I want us to think about what they're doing in uh, the birth story. And I want to do that by giving us a little history lesson. It'll be a refresher for some. Uh, Maybe it will be new information for others. Uh, But then I want us to end by thinking about what do the wise men, the magi, uh, teach us about God and teach us about ourselves. Uh, So first, who are the Magi? When when I was a kid, a couple years ago, uh, I was told, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I was told that the Magi were kings. And so I just kind of assumed that they were. Uh, I looked at the pictures, and they seemed like they were dressed very kingly. They wore fancy clothes. Uh, They came bearing gifts. And so I thought to myself, man, if anyone could be a king, it would be these chaps. Um, They look very kingly. 
Uh, I even remember singing a song, a Christmas hymn, about the wise men, about the magi that went a little something like this. I'm not going to sing it for a number of reasons. Um, It'll be the last thing that I ever did. Uh, But I just want to read the lyrics that might be familiar to you. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts We traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Don't worry about uh, singing along with me. Um, You can just sit and listen. Uh, I I sang that. I remember singing it and thinking to myself, well, I mean, it says right there, we three kings of Orient are. I mean, clearly... These wise men are kings, Uh, and yet when uh, you do a little study, you realize that uh, these individuals may not, in fact, uh, be kings. As a matter of fact, the Greek word uh, for that is used here for magi means astrologer, magician, or dream interpreter. Isn't that interesting? Astrologer, magician, dream interpreter. Um, The magi or the wise men in this culture were the upper crust of society. Uh, They oftentimes were the elites or the most educated. They were great and powerful in that culture. We know from the text that they were from the east. Most likely, uh, they were from Persia or modern-day Iran. Uh, This means that the wise men likely traveled some 800 to 900 miles to see the Christ child. The Greek word that is used here for magi is plural, and so we know that there were at least two. Historically, people have believed there were three, but we don't necessarily know that uh, from the text. We know there was more than one. Uh, but there could have been many more than three. We just assume they were, there were three because they have three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But uh, we don't know that uh, for sure. In that day, the wise men, again, were astrologists. This is interesting because up until this point in uh, Scripture, um, this was not a, a noble field. As a matter of fact, it was a perceived Uh, Pretty negatively in Scripture, the Old Testament condemns this way of life, this idea of reading into the stars to predict the future. In the Torah, the Israelites are strictly warned not to worship creation, not to worship uh, the moon or the stars or the sun. But here in the Matthew account of the birth of Jesus, we read about these wise men, magi astrologers, dream interpreters, uh, showing up at the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 reads, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come uh, to worship him astrologers, wise men, magi, are coming to worship the God of the universe. Go figure. Uh, You probably wouldn't expect that if you were writing the story, but then again, God oftentimes uh, uses people you would least expect to come and worship the king. Uh, We know that the magi are looking for Jesus. 
We know they saw his star and they came uh, to worship him. Uh, By the way, more than likely, this was not right after the birth of Jesus. It's not as if Jesus was born and then the Magi knock on the door and they come uh, bearing gifts. Likely, it was weeks or months uh, later. We don't know for sure, uh, but we do know that they were led to come uh, worship him. And so how do we we know that uh, the Magi, or how do we know that the Magi became part of this story that God was writing? Like, why did God choose the wise men to be a part of what he was doing? These socially elite dream interpreters, astrologers that likely lived some eight to nine hundred miles away from the birth of Christ. Like, like how did that go down? Like, what was the Lord thinking when he chose uh, them? Well, the text tells us that they saw a star, and so they, they came to Jesus, the king of of the Jews, but more than likely, the Magi knew of the writings of the prophet Daniel, who in time past had been the chief of the court of seers in Persia. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 27 include a prophecy which laid out the timeline, or at least pointed to the birth of the Messiah. Uh, these magi may have been aware in the prophecy of Balaam, who was from a town on the Euphrates River near Persia. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, Balaam's prophecy specifically mentions a star coming out of Jacob. And so think about this. Astrology is a study of the positions and relationships of the sun and the moon and the stars in order to judge their influence on human actions. Interestingly, astrology finds its true origin in Babylon. So here's a quick history lesson, because I know that you guys are Bible history buffs. You probably came just for this reason. If you want to write down these fancy dates, you can. I'll leave that up to you. Uh, But it's fascinating because it tells the background of the story. And when we begin to understand the background of God's story, it grants us clarity as this story unfolds. Well, around 975 BC, uh, God's God's people that were once part of a united nation uh, became divided. The the country of Israel splits in two. Israel uh, goes to the north and Judah is in the south. Uh, Israel in the north is really a a pagan uh, place. There are 19 kings, and every single one of them, uh, without exception, was bad news. Uh, Eventually, uh, they get defeated and exiled off their land by the Assyrians around 720 B.C. Uh, Judah, uh, (laughs) Judah to the south goes more and more south, Uh, And eventually, they get exiled off their land for 70 years, exiled to, of all places, Babylon. That's around 600 B.C. And among the people of Judah that get exiled and carried off to Babylon is a righteous young man by the name of Daniel. Daniel, if you remember his story from the Old Testament, uh, has absolutely crazy things happen to him. Perhaps you've heard the story or read the story about Daniel 
in the lion's den. Maybe you read about uh, Daniel in the fiery furnace. Among the great stories of Daniel is the story of when Daniel interprets the dream of the king, a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, He has a dream and he calls his personal dream interpreters and astrologers to tell him the dream and interpret the dream uh, for him. Uh, But if you're familiar with the story, you know that none of them can do it. Uh, This is Daniel chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation uh, to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So there's that that phrase or that idea, the wise men of Babylon, astrologers, dream interpreters, magicians. Daniel, of course, interprets the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar with God's help. Uh, He's not not reading the stars. He's not doing magic tricks. Uh, Daniel is is hearing from uh, the God of the universe. You'll never guess what happens when Daniel does this. He rises uh, to the position of chief of the wise men uh, in his foreign pagan land. And so just think about this. God's people have, have essentially been captured by the Assyrians, the Babylonians. They're sent into exile. And in this foreign land, Daniel, a God-fearing man, uh, is raised to a position of power. It says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 9, Oh, Daniel, there's a different name for Daniel that's used, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. Later in Daniel chapter 5, verse 11, it says, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. So Daniel, this God-fearing man, is raised to a position of power uh, even though he finds himself in a foreign and a pagan land. Daniel isn't reading horoscopes. He's not doing magic tricks. He's seeking the God of the universe for wisdom. But God makes Daniel, an exiled Judean, the chief magician or astrologer, the chief magi, if you will. He is the chief wise man in all of Babylon. And Daniel, when he is placed in this position, knows the sacred text. Daniel knows the history of God in Israel. And Daniel knows the prophecies that date all the way back to the time of Moses. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, read, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. I mean, think about it. A prophecy that dates some 1,200 years before Jesus shows up onto the scene. 
a prophecy that is told some 600 years before Daniel arrives on the scene, is looking forward uh, to the coming of the Christ child. In all likelihood, Daniel, the chief wise man, brought this prophecy to Babylon and to the Magi. How do the Magi hear about a text that is some uh, 1,200 years old or 600 years old? It was passed down uh, from one generation uh, to the next, from generation to generation to generation. The word of God, the promise of the coming of a Savior, uh, passed from from one voice uh, to another. Uh, God is so faithful uh, to his word. God is so faithful to his word. They know the prophecy so well that they are watching and they are waiting for hundreds of years, hundreds of years before God gives them the sign in the sky. Think about how many times in your life where God calls upon you to wait. Where he he essentially says to you when life doesn't go the way that you want it to go, or it does not look the way that you want it to look. I want you to wait. I want you to wait on me. We, we are not by nature a very patient people. I, I am not a, a patient man. Like I, I get frustrated if I have to wait for what seems to be an extra half second for my internet to work think to myself, I'm, I'm done. I don't have all day. I'm not going to wait for this. And yet, how many times in life does God call his people to wait? Uh, God's people waited uh, year after year, decade after decade, century after century uh, for the coming king. They waited uh, for the savior of the world. And then one day, uh, he came. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, O you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that reads, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me a one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. When Herod hears about the Magi coming to see a king, he is a tad bit paranoid. And he's paranoid uh, because he is the one uh, who sits on uh, the throne and he fears uh, that this new baby, this new Messiah may take his place. And so what does he do? What does Herod do when he feels his power slipping? He decides to take matters into his own hands and he asks the chief priest and the scribes Uh, And they know, because it was in the Old Testament scriptures, he wants to know where this child is. And so he does a little research. Matthew 2, 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them uh, what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Babylon, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When Herod calls the Magi, he does so in secret, meaning he is keeping this uh, from the priest. Right? He doesn't want them to know what he is doing. Interestingly enough, the wise men only knew to come to Jerusalem, but Herod, through the priest's knowledge, sends them uh, to Bethlehem to essentially act as spies. I'm amazed when I read this story. I'm amazed when I think about the wise men, the Magi, from the east, Persia, Iran, uh, traveling some 800 to 900 miles. I'm amazed when I think about and consider God's sovereign hand in passing the truth of his word, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy from one generation uh, to the next. It amazes me to think about our sovereign God moving and acting in our world in such a way that his plan and purpose unfolds before our very eyes. Listen, if you think for a second that your life uh, doesn't count or doesn't matter, that you simply make decisions on a daily basis with no eternal consequences, you could not be more wrong. Uh, Your life matters. A sovereign God has dreamed you up. He has thought about you. Your conversations, your decisions, your actions on planet earth matter for all of eternity. A God is sovereign. When we see our sovereign God moving and acting for hundreds or thousands of years, unfolding his good plan for creation, it should cause us to be blown away by the goodness and kindness of God. So I said I wanted us to think about the Magi. Who are they? I wanted us to to think for a moment, how is it that they figured out that this Messiah uh, would come? We did that by giving a little history lesson that I know you're going to remember 30 years from now. Uh, There will be a quiz on the dates next Sunday. And last but not least, I want us to think, what can we glean from uh, the Magi, from the wise men, that teach us about the character of God, who God is, and how we should respond? What do we learn? Well, first, uh, we are reminded that God's word uh, is trustworthy, and we can believe it, uh, or we can believe him. Uh, God's word has been passed down and believed for centuries. Uh, The scriptures are full of messianic prophecies. One scholar, J. Barton Payne, has found as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament that somehow point to or describe or reference the coming of the Messiah. Another scholar, uh, Alfred Edersheim, uh, points to 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah or uh, his coming. Uh, Jesus, when he came to earth, fulfilled some 300 of those prophecies. Um, I am am amazed when I think about uh, God's word and how... Uh, It has spoken hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived on planet Earth. I mean, just think about that. 
I mean, the prophecies here that Scripture talks about were written hundreds of years before Jesus arrived on the scene, and yet we see them playing out uh, right before our very eyes. Um, God's word is trustworthy. And because God's word is trustworthy, we uh, can trust the one uh, that wrote it. Uh, The Magi uh, knew the word, they believed the word, and they obeyed the word. They knew the word, they believed the word, and they obeyed the word. I wonder, Christ's point, if our posture, if your posture and my posture, uh, wasn't very much like those of the wise men. I mean, what if we were a people of the book? What if we were a people who knew the word? Not, not just for the sake of getting smart, not for winning Bible trivial pursuit, but if we knew the word because the word pointed us uh, to God. What if we didn't just know the word, uh, but what if we obeyed the word? What if we not, were not only hearers of the word, but doers? Like, what if we opened up God's word to us in the morning and simply prayed, God, here I am. Like, lead me. God, is there something that you want me to know? Is there something that you want me to do? Is there something that you want me to feel? God, I want to bring myself up under your word. Lead me, God. I want to obey. What if we were a people who, like the wise men, who, like like the Magi, lived lives of faith? Like, we... We read about God in his word and we said, I, I believe that. Like, I believe that. God, I, I believe you are who you claim to be and I, and I trust you. Listen, if you, have, you, if you have not reached a point in time in your life yet where you have been called upon to believe God's word and what God says about himself and what he says about you, I assure you that time will come. Like, like daily basis we come to grips with this god do i do i believe you this is what you said when life is going well and things fall in line and our ducks are in a row and we're celebrating and rejoicing we go god do i take you at your word do i believe you when life goes sideways and it's really difficult and it's hard we get to go okay god do i believe you do i believe that your promises are true the magi I believe that God's word was trustworthy, and so they believed God. The second thing that we learn from them, that we learn from God's word, is that Christ is supremely valuable. Uh, Christ is supremely valuable, and so go to great lengths for him. Uh, The Magi desperately sought Jesus. This wasn't a trip that they made because they were in town. You know, they didn't just happen to arrive there and go, hey, do you got any plans tonight? Let's see if we can see baby Jesus. You know, we've, we've come all this way. I mean, they, they traveled some 800 to 900 miles uh, to see him. I mean, think about that. I get, you know, Christmas is right around the corner. I don't know if any of you are traveling. Uh, we're headed back to Michigan the day after Christmas. The trip is roughly about 12 hours. I mean, for the longest time when the kids were small, Melissa's like, everyone pile in the minivan of misery. It's time to go to Michigan. I mean, seriously, like miserable. I don't believe in purgatory, but if there is one, it would be that. I mean, just just horrible. I mean, 12 hours. It seemed like forever. And I think about the wise men, the magi, who 
travel some 800 to 900 miles to see Jesus. And then, like, hop on Holy Spirit Airlines. It was a long journey. So why, I mean, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why would they battle the conditions of the long days, the uncomfortable nights? I think they, they did that because they recognized the worth of Jesus. They saw Jesus as supremely valuable. Like, we'll, we'll go 900 miles. We'll go 9,000 miles. Like, we want to see Jesus. He is valuable to us. When you see Jesus is valuable, when you see Jesus as your treasure, like you'll do anything. You'll go anywhere. You, you'll do anything. You'll risk. You'll stick your neck out. You'll be willing to be seen a fool by family and friends. Why? Because Jesus is of great value to you. And so you would follow him anywhere. The, the magi, the wise men uh, did. Uh, lastly, the thing that we learn from uh, their life, that we learn about Christ and ourselves, is that Christ is worthy of our praise. And so give your gifts uh, to him. Christ is worthy of our praise. Uh, give your gifts to him. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 reads, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, these wise men, the socially elite, uh, these powerful men, stoop down and worship a baby. They worship Jesus. They come bearing gifts. They had seen no miracles up until this point. They weren't moved by a message they heard on a podcast recently. They, by faith, found him. They followed the star, and they laid their gifts at his feet. There's something beautiful about this scene, about seeing those who were influential and seeing those who uh, were powerful, uh, seeing those men who quite honestly were probably looked up to in society, uh, stooping down and bowing down and worshiping uh, King Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we see followers of Christ come lay their gifts down before him. We see the wise men do it here in Matthew chapter 2. We see one woman uh, with a sketchy past do it on the back end of the life of Christ when she pours perfume on Jesus' feet. Uh, we see it from the beginning of his life uh, to the end of his life. People are giving gifts uh, to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is worthy of our praise. He is so good, and he is so kind, and he is so loving, he is so righteous. Bring your gifts to him. Christ is worthy of our praise. Sixteen years ago, roughly, a little boy who I believe, if I remember correctly, was probably six or seven years old at the time, cleaned out his piggy bank because the church that his parents were attending at the time, named Renaissance Bible Church, uh, was a new church in the Charlotte area. 
And he had been, uh, he had been moved to model a generous life. And so this little boy raided his piggy bank, quarters and dimes and nickels and all, uh, and gave everything that was in his little piggy bank to the church. I don't remember the total, but it was somewhere around uh, $30. Um, that is what it looks like uh, to give gifts to a worthy God. When a busy businessman or woman with a packed schedule volunteers behind the scenes at a local church in a way that is seldom noticed but always felt, he or she is giving gifts to a good God. When a mom in a noisy house filled with rambunctious little boys or little girls sits down at the end of the day when she has uh, no energy and even less patience and instead of uh, throwing the kids into bed, opens up her Bible and reads them a story and prays for them, uh, she is giving uh, good gifts to God. Christ is worthy of our praise. Give your gifts, give yourself to him. Give yourself uh, to him. It is, it is a good way to live. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And let us worship him this morning. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, thank you so much for uh, the gift of Jesus. Uh, thank you for your living and active word. Uh, thank you for how uh, you still use it to form and shape people, to draw people uh, to yourself. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have seen fit in your kindness uh, to send a Savior. Thank you for the perfect life of Jesus, uh, for his sacrificial death. Thank you that he uh, was buried and he rose again. Thank you for the life that has, given, has been given to us by faith in his finished work. Uh, God, we worship you this morning. You are worthy of our praise. You are glorious and you are good. And we praise your good name. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you have loved us first. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Uh, one of the great joys that we have is a church family is participating in communion or is oftentimes referred to uh, the Lord's Supper. It is an opportunity for us to uh, remember uh, the life and death and really resurrection of Jesus. It is an opportunity for us to pause and give thanks. Uh, it is a chance for us to declare that we believe as the people of God that just like Jesus came some 2,000 years ago, Jesus uh, will one day come again. Uh, the table, as it is oftentimes referred to, is open uh, for followers of Jesus, those who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, if that is you this morning, then you are part of God's family, and I invite you to the table. If you are here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I can't imagine a better time uh, to do that than right now. Uh, would you, by faith, trust in 
Jesus and his finished work on your behalf and join us at uh, the table. I want to encourage you, if you would, to pull out uh, the elements at this time and pull back uh, the the bread and take out uh, the bread. And let us pause and pray and give thanks uh, for the sacrifice of Jesus. Let us do that together. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks for, for Jesus. God the Father, we give you thanks for God the Son. Jesus, we thank you for your perfect life, uh, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Thank you that the punishment that we deserved for sins that we have committed against you, against your law and word and thought and deed, have been fully paid for by Jesus. Uh, We give you thanks and remember this morning. God, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.